and I will be your moderator for tonight's class. Welcome to the Oceanside class. This is a school and not a church, and neither are we affiliated with any religious organization. This school is a nonprofit, non-denominational, religious and scientific research organization dedicated to showing proof of the existence of Yahweh, our Elohim, and the operation of his eternal purpose, pattern, and plan operating throughout eternity to this present day. This school was established as a result of a divine vision and revelation given to our founder, Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley, in the state of Ohio in the year 1931. We were incorporated in the state of California in the year 1958. We hold classes in the United States, Canada, and certain other foreign countries. The Oceanside branch was established in 1994. At this time, I would like to introduce you to our Dean, Dr. Dennis Volpe. In this school, we use the true, correct, and original name and title of the Father, the Word or Son, and the Holy Spirit, which are contained in the original Hebrew text. The true name of the Heavenly Father is Yahweh. It has been improperly substituted by Lord. The true title of the Word or Son is Elohim. It has been improperly substituted by God. The name of the Holy Spirit manifested in or out of a physical body is Yahshua. It has been erroneously substituted by Jesus Christ. Lord and God are titles and not names. The Apostle Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, tells us in 1 Corinthians 8 and 5 that there are Lord's many and God's many. But we now know that each Lord must have a name and each God must have a name also. Elohim is a title, but unlike Lord and God, Elohim is a divine title. That means Elohim is a title that our creator chose for himself. Jesus is a name, but it is an erroneous name. A minor investigation on your part in a good dictionary or encyclopedia would prove that neither the Hebrew language, the Greek language, nor the Latin language have any characters or letters in their alphabet that would produce the sound that is made by this letter J. Neither was there a J in the English language until some 1400 years after the Messiah's death. Therefore, such names as Jesus and Jehovah are impossible renderings of the true and original name of our Father and His Son. Christ is a title, just like Lord and God. Yahweh is pure spirit, and in this state, He is incomprehensible, inscrutable, and indiscernible. He is the ultimate source, substance, limits, and bounds of everything. We have Yahweh in his pure spirit state, symbolized on this chart as a cloud. Yahweh is not a cloud. He merely chose a cloud to symbolize himself because a cloud has no particular or descriptive shape and form. We have drawn this cloud all around the edges of this chart to show you that everything on this chart is within the cloud. In like manner, everything in the universe abides within the pure spirit state of Yahweh. Yahweh, knowing that man could not perceive of him in this pure spirit state, took on shape and took on form right within himself as Elohim. 
This is the word or son, a super incorporeal being that is having the shape and form of a man, but without flesh and blood. This form could only be seen in divine visions and understood in divine revelations. Later on, this self-same spirit manifested himself in a physical body and walked the earth plane as Yahshua the Messiah, whom the world calls Jesus Christ. Now there is only one name given unto salvation, and we must know that name. So the simple yet intelligent question that we should ask ourselves is, what was the name of the Savior during the time he walked the earth plane? A further understanding of this name and title may be had by reading the preface of the Holy Name Bible. Also at this school, we teach by the divine pattern of the universe. It is called the divine pattern because it is Yahweh's pattern. After Yahweh led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he called Moses atop Mount Sinai and showed him the tabernacle pattern in a vision. Yahweh instructed Moses to build one exactly like it in the wilderness of Sinai. The pattern consists of a most holy place, holy place, and a court roundabout. These three compartments make up the one tabernacle pattern. In this school, we show proof. Are you there, Jerry? We show proof that everything is made and operates. Yeah, uh, she left off at the point where she said the tabernacle, we show proof that everything in the universe is made and operates according to the structure and function of this threefold tabernacle pattern, and nothing escapes the pattern. We also have uh, 10 primary constitutional aims and objectives, and our aims are as follows. First is to help you find and know Yahweh, our Elohim, as he really is and actually exists. Second is to form a nucleus of universal brotherhood of humanity in Yahshua the Messiah, without distinction of race, nationality, creed, sex, caste, or color. Third is to investigate the unexplained spirit law, or so-called law of nature and the powers latent in man. Fourth is to encourage and promote the study of the scriptures, comparative religions, psychology, philosophy, and modern practical and occult science. Fifth, to extirpate current superstition, skepticism, and ignorance. Sixth, to learn, know, and understand the operation of Yahweh's eternal purpose through the dispensations and ages. Seventh, to discern and avoid being deceived by Lucifer, the serpent, the devil, the dragon, or Satan and his demons operating the mystery of iniquity on earth through the dispensations of time. Eighth, to earnestly contend for the common salvation and faith 
which was once delivered unto the sons or children of Yahweh. Ninth, to make known that Yahweh from the beginning ordained, there is no other name given among men whereby man can be saved, save in the name of Yahshua, the Messiah. And tenth, to inherit eternal life now in the kingdom of Yahshua, the Messiah, with the hope of immortal glorification in the new earth state. Our watchword is peace. Our slogan is speak the truth. And if you got more, Dennis, you're going to have to call. Uh, Thank you, Steve. I, 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 sorry for the interruption. Um, our prayer this evening will be given by Dr. Gary Myers from our Gates class. Then I'll be reading Hebrews, the first chapter for the scripture lesson. Gary. And I'll mute. <clears throat> Good evening, everybody. Let us please bow our hearts and minds. Joshua, we thank you for bringing us together once more in your name to um, be edified by your word. Please uh, give the speakers the necessary understanding to help us to know what you want us to hear tonight. Help us to be aware the to, to hear you, to get rid of all distractions so we can completely pay attention to what you want to teach us, what you want to feed us, because we know how important this is in such a chaotic world um, towards the end of this creation. We know how special this is. And we just want to make sure we concentrate um, during the time that we have with you. And with that, let us all say, oh. Thank you, Dr. Myers. Tonight I'll be reading Hebrews, the first chapter from the Holy Name Bible, containing the Holy Name version of the Old and New Testaments, critically compared with ancient authorities and various manuscripts revised by the late A.B. Trena of the Scripture Research Association. Hebrews, the first chapter. Elohim, who at sundry times and in various manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he hath ordained the ages, who being the brightness of his glory and the exact impress of his substance and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten unto the world, he saith, And let all the angels of El worship him. And of the angels, he said, Who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire? But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O Elohim, is forever and ever. 
a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, Elohim, even thy Elohim hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Yahweh, in the beginning, hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they shall all wax old at thus a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years have no end. But unto which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Hebrews, the first chapter. Our first speaker this evening will be from our Gates, New York class, Dr. Reba Zahar. I'll be around. I'm sorry for the delay. I don't, I don't normally operate this laptop. Um, I'd like to say good evening to the class and I'm very happy to be here um this evening and well this afternoon as we are out here mm -hmm. and anytime that i can come together with such a lovely group of people for the common purpose of um lifting up yashua and glorifying him for all the things that he has um done for us and these are very exciting times um um, I would just like to say to the um, any viewers that might be newer that we do teach um, by the true and accurate name of Yahweh. You can find this all over the place, dictionaries, encyclopedias, Google it. Um, it's recorded in all of the ancient arts and in literature. And um, this is the name of your great creator, um, just as when um, the disciples were asking for a prayer and they called it the Lord's Prayer. Um, Lord is t a title, it's not a name. And if you wanted to get technical about it, you have a whole house of Lords and um, England. Um, my goodness, you have a liquor that's named Lord Calvert. He's even called by a name. <laughs> and, you know, there's just anything that you want to... Um, make or elevate higher than yourself can be a god which is also a title or you can bow down to a lord but these names are most important um because you'll come to find out that there is no salvation in any other let's run over to acts the fourth chapter and uh start at the seventh verse okay. that's four and seven when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, let me kind of catch you up to speed here. Thank you very much, Dr. Welch, for reading that for me. Um, there has a lot of things had transpired. There is a Messiah that came and walked the earth plane. And he said that he came in his father's name. You can read that over in John, the fifth chapter, the 43rd verse that so could somebody get that real quick? And um, 
not only did we not really know the true name of <clears throat> our Messiah, we did not understand his mission or what he came in to accomplish while he was tabernacling or dwelling in a physical body. Um, could we read uh, John real quick and then go back to Acts, the fourth chapter? John four. No, five, I'm sorry, verse 43. Um, five, four, 33. John Therefore, 543. 543, Jennifer, I, not I, four. Yeah. I am come in my father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive. Um, I apologize. I might have miscalled it. Um, I'm sorry to the readers. Um, the Messiah says this, I am come in my father's name. Now, if you don't even know what the father's name is, you're really going to be hard pressed to find out who the Messiah is or whom he sent into the world to accomplish a particular task. So we've just been introduced perhaps for the first time that the father's name is Yahweh. The son his name is coming in the father's name is Yah and Shua in Hebrew means salvation, aid, deliverance, comfort, assistance. Mm -hmm. And he said, I've come in my father's name. And then he tags it with this and read it, please. I can do it again. Okay. I'm coming in my father's name and you receive me not. If another shall come in his own name, him you will receive now i've come in my father's name my name is yahshua that yahweh is salvation and you're not going to receive me he already knew what was we're not talking about a wimpy creator down here he has a purpose he has a pattern he has a plan and it's all geared towards salvation now that name means that I have come in my father's name. My name means salvation. And you, you won't receive me, but you'll go ahead and receive another. You'll go and receive Maharishi Yogi Ji. You'll receive Jesus, Allah, Buddha. And we could just spend 10 minutes trying to rattle off. Uh, my goodness, there are so many Hindu uh, gods, you know, Vishnu, and it just goes on and on and on. And they all are identified by a name, and they all have a definite purpose behind their name, too. Let's go over into Acts, the fourth chapter. No, wait a minute. First of all, we got to get um, uh, fulfill. Where do I want it? Um, 517. Matthew? Matthew 517. Uh, think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Oh, brother, if you're going in, in the Bible to try to read something to find out about your creator, you cannot make as that verse she just read. Read it again, please. I think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. Oh my goodness, what's a law? What's a prophet? What's he talking about destroying this law or this prophet? Mm -hmm. What's going on, Read. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Oh, he's coming in to fulfill. Fulfill what? Oh, the law and the prophet? Well, right. we've come to find out down here. It's been shown to us because this is a show and tell. We're trying to show you these charts right now and tell you about it. You can't make heads or tail out of this thing. 
that he came in, his mission was to fulfill. The law is the first. Let's just read it out of the book for a little bit because I'm getting pretty excited here. Luke 24 and 44 or 45. Luke 24, 45. Thank you. Okay. Then open up their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Is this correct? Yeah. Did I want 40, verse 44? Maybe. Yes. I Okay, you thank you. And okay, he great. Said, okay, and he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Now, this is the Messiah speaking. And, you know, I probably need to get over there because I just got the memory of a fruit fly. <laughs> Where, where's uh, Luke? Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke. There it is. Okay. You can so, start at 25 also. That's okay. I'm right where I want to be. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you. This is the Messiah talking while I, I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled. He's not talking about some of it, just a few things. He's talking about all of it fulfilled, which means to bring to an, to bring to an end to stop, to complete, to manifest uh, totally. You you a little homework down here, and I shouldn't talk so fast, but I get very excited about this because this is this is unbelievable stuff that we're trying to uh, get across to you. And there's nothing more that would make us happier than for you to be able to come to an understanding as much as we have so that you could be excited about something too so sure or uncertain about what is going on out here in the creation or the world that you live in you have no stability you you, you don't know if your job's going to be there tomorrow you don't know if the uh you know uh the economy is going to collapse you don't know who's going to be the president you don't know if somebody's going to get assassinated you you just don't you just don't know you're going to get monkey pops oh no <laughs> i didn't think i was going to get covid but i did i tried to use every precaution possible but guess what but guess what i didn't die <laughs> so you just never know what's going to hit you and if you could see some of this stuff coming a virus you'd get out of the way wouldn't you so the messiah said this these are the words which I spake on you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled or accomplished or brought to an end, which were written in the law of Moses, which is the first five books of what you call the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then from Joshua on down to Malachi, that's what is called the prophets or the testimony. There was a bunch of people that had the same testimony or they taught or prophesied of the very things that were in the first five books of the Bible. That constitutes the Old Testament. Now, there's some people that said, you're wasting your time if you go back there because you can't learn anything about the Messiah. Uh -huh. Well, we beg to differ down here because it's all about the Messiah. Right. You can't find Jesus back there, but you can find Yahshua all uh -huh. over the place. So he says that uh, you got to go back.
to the law and the prophets to find out about these things that were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms or the, the songs that they were writing concerning himself. And on top of it, the next verse, would you read that please? 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Now you have to even have your understanding opened so that you can understand. You just can't, you're just hard pressed to come up on this. It's this simple. The entire world is calling their savior. We're going to go over to Acts, so get ready. Mm -hmm. uh, I got it. They're, okay. The entire world is calling their savior, Jesus. I mean, at least in the United States, for those that can call themselves Christians. Mm -hmm. There has never been a letter J in Hebrew, Latin, or Greek until this day. Mm -hmm. We did not adapt a letter J into our own English language until like what, four, five, 600 years? It, that recent, you know, older than you, obviously. We think that's a long time ago. But it, America is only 250 years old or so. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it just hasn't been around that long. Yeah. So what's the truth? We tell you there's no J. Do you even care? Well, your eternal life is at stake here. And if you don't care about your eternal life, well, then I guess you don't care about a J one way or the other. Yeah. It's irrelevant to you. But for us that are hard pressed into this and just love it, it's truth. You're hard pressed to find anything that's true out there. We need to uh, go to Acts where I get off on something else. You want me to start at seven or? Yeah, go ahead. Acts four and seven. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have ye done this? Now listen to the things that are being said here. There was a couple of guys there. Well, who was it? Uh, Philip, Peter. or it was Peter, Peter and John. Peter and John. Yeah, well, they healed this guy, okay? And uh, he was, he was uh, he had a bum leg ever since he was born. His job, mm -hmm. he would work every day, lay in front of the gates of this temple called Beautiful. Mm -hmm. And he would beg for money because he couldn't go and have a regular job. That was his job. He begged. And all his life, he was there every day. He was like a fixture. They'd come, they'd go, they'd see him, they'd beg, you know, for the money. And uh, the Messiah, Yahshua, came to fulfill a law that was given to Moses, which was carnal, which means natural. It was most certainly physical. It was earthly and it was very temporary because it's not in Yahweh's purpose and pattern and plan for salvation this night that we are speaking of. That law consisted of physical baptisms. Ooh, doesn't that sound familiar? That's what they're still doing down to the church I came from. They're still having suppers. Well, what's going on here? 
Some people have to get circumcised. There's a bunch of ceremonies. You got to stand up, sit down, cross yourself, bless yourself, splash some water, light some candles, watch the incense swing. Got to sacrifice something. You got to give up your time. You got to go down there. They want you to offer up your dozen bucks. They want you to dig deep in your pocket. They want you to do God's work or a good service, even if it means standing out in a parking lot and directing traffic and in and out of your mega church. You got to do some kind of work. And the ordinances, the laws, my goodness, we're familiar with the 10, the big 10, the 10 commandment. But did you know that the uh, children of Israel were given these other laws? And I can't even remember the name right now, but there was like 600 something. Mm -hmm. And the funniest thing about it was Adam and Eve back in the garden were given one law. Don't touch that tree that was in the midst or don't eat the fruit there because as soon as you do, you're going to have a problem. Couldn't keep it. Boom. They touched it. They ate. They partook. And condemnation came on their mind. And they were separated and alienated from the close relationship that they had with their creator who walked and talked with Adam up in the garden. Children of Israel, when they came up out of the land of Egypt, and they, oh, and by out of that stygian black darkness by a name, Moses received the great name of Yahweh out there in the uh, wilderness of uh, or in the wilderness of Sinai. And he was told to take that great name of Yahweh down into the land of Egypt. And that name is that which was going to deliver them or bring them salvation or comfort or deliverance out from the hand of Pharaoh. And they also uh, performed a Passover supper, which allowed them to pass over from death unto life. So there really is something in a name. And not only that, but there is something in being obedient to the commandments of your creator. And they're talking about, um, oh, I'm getting way off the point here. Re keep reading. Um, go back to Acts, please, Sharon. When they had set them in the midst, they right. asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? They, they, they asked, they recognized that there was power or there was a name that they were one in the same. By what power or by what name? Right. Have you healed this guy that lays by that beautiful gate every day for all <laughs> his life? And now he's, he's picking up his bed and walking. We can't, the scribes and the Pharisees or the chief rulers, synagogues back there and the teachers of the law they couldn't do that mm -hmm. they couldn't have that they were being exposed they didn't have a name and they didn't have any power mm -hmm. so they asked them by what name or what by what power did you do this read then peter filled with the holy spirit said unto them ye rulers of the people and elders of israel if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Yahshua the Messiah of Nazareth, whom you crucified, 
whom Yahweh raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you whole. So it was by the name of Yahshua that they were healed. And the other interesting thing is there's been a change. That old covenant, command, please have the uh, Colonel Ornish chart. Thank you, Gregory. That Old Testament that was once in vogue at the time of Moses, um, and it was it was a hard doings. They had to do that. They, there were sacrifices. They were uh, down here next to the cross. You can see Mosaic Law. There was a tabernacle that was given to Moses um, when they finally got up into the wilderness of Sinai. And he went up on top of that mountain and he had a vision. And he saw all kinds of things up there. And one of the things that he was given was a tabernacle pattern. He was instructed to come down into the wilderness and construct that pattern or that tabernacle. We just have to go and get that. I might never even get to where I'd like to go, but that's okay. Um, uh, Exodus 24, please. Let's read that. Exodus 24, 9 and 10. Exodus 24, 9, and 10. Yeah, I guess we can go back to the Moses chart. I'm not going to be able to get Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of, elders of Israel. And See, now you, I'm sorry for interrupting. Um, I, you know, it's, it's, this is called the Moses chart. And um, you read here, or you you can. Did you mute Reba? And it's painted on the chart as an aid to um, the person who is trying to instruct you in some of these things. You don't have, this is not a uh, scripture quote. Reba, you're breaking up. Internet out. Um, anyways, like I was saying, uh, this, these things are painted up on the chart for a, a help to the instructor. Not only that, but it's for a visual aid for you to be able to see what it is we're talking about. And now Moses has accomplished that, which Yahweh asked him. The children of Israel were brought up out of the land of Egypt. They were told to gather around Mount Sinai in Arabia. You can see how that's painted right at the base of this mountain. The, the, the entire body of the children of Israel around the base. Moses was called up. He got to go to the very top. You can see in the white part, you got Aaron. He was the uh, elder. Nadab and Abihu, they were brothers. And then you had 70 elders uh, painted beneath them. And they got to go to the midpoint of the mountain. And they partake of a vision this is the visionary shape and form that they saw and this was what was talked about in hebrews the first chapter our scripture reading uh that we had this evening and moses gets to go to the very top of this mountain and he's having a vision a panoramic vision 
of Elohim. Now that is a title, but that is a divine title that Yahweh chose for himself. We can hold the chart here, Sharon, run over John 4 and uh, 23 and 24. John 4, 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Well, how can you worship him in spirit? Okay, what's that? How are you going to worship him in spirit? And you don't know the first thing about truth. Well, I dare say I didn't know his name was Yahweh until I came down to this school. They were instructing me in Lord and God and Jesus. And it's wrong. It's wrong. Mm -hmm. So we're down here to worship him in spirit. And if you want to find out about that, stick around for the rest of the class and come back. Mm -hmm. Because this is an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. These lectures are the direct result of a man claiming to have a vision straight from God himself. And the very things that we are going over right now, he brought to it to us through his vision and the subsequent revelation or the understanding that he received from it. His name was Dr. Henry Clifford Kinley. He is no longer in a physical body, but the message that he brought us, the doctrine, this body of principles will stand the test of time into eternity. Mm -hmm. So read me on uh, um, John. For Father seeketh such to worship him. Yahweh is spirit. Now he is spirit. Go ahead. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Must makes it, a, it makes it mandatory. Mm-hmm. And the thing, uh, and we can go over to what the uh, theme song of our school, which is Romans 1, 19 and 20. We just have to do these things for the benefit mm -hmm. of, uh, I want you to see that it's in the book. And this was what, these are the very tenets that were brought to us from our founder. And we're not here to change it. We're not here to alter it. I'm not yes. trying to say it a different way. I'm trying to come out of the Bible and show it to you that it's in the book. I'm trying to show it to you that it's up on this chart, which is the very vision that our founder had and told him to put it to canvas. The story does not change. And it has the power to deliver you out of a dead state. There is life in that name. That is the name that Yahweh put in Adam's nostrils for him to become a living soul. Yes. And a name is most important. Yes. You don't want to work all week long and, well, go ahead, put my name on your paycheck, try to cash it. I'll tell you one thing, you'll go to jail. Okay. Um, let's read Romans. Right, right, let, start at 16. Oh, I got only two minutes. I know. Romans 1, 16. Romans, yes, Romans 1, 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Yahshua, for it is the power of Yahweh unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the now, I just got done making that statement. 
I'm not ashamed of this gospel. It is the good news. What? That there was a man that came and he went through a death, a burial, a resurrection. He came up out of that tomb, ascended, and before he did, he went through a change. He went down a physical body. He came up a living, quickening spirit. And it's that spirit that was poured out into the hearts and minds of men on the day of Pentecost. After he fulfilled that long testimony, those prophets moved it all the way because he had a better law in store for you. The law of the spirit of life. And that's what was deposited into your heart and mind. Not that Ten Commandment morality that was written on a table of stone that could be broken. You understand? And I am not ashamed of the gospel of Yahshua Messiah because it is the power. Now, where they already read it in Acts, how they were asking about what power by what name. And prior to Pentecost, they were powerless. It's the Holy Spirit that resides in you now that can cause you to be able to be obedient and to walk in his statutes. He will make you right. presence of the Holy Spirit residing in a yet another tabernacle. What? Know you not that your body is a tabernacle or a temple? which Yahweh, you were bought with a price. You were bought with his blood. And there's life in there. Now read me the rest of Romans and um, please. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of Yahweh revealed from faith to faith. Yeah, check that written. out. It's only revealed from faith to faith. Mm -hmm. only read as it is written the just shall live by faith right for the wrath of Yahweh is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who hold the truth in unrighteousness did I did I miss 19 and 20 it's coming right now oh because good that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest in them for Yahweh yeah. showed it now, this thing, if you're going to worship him in spirit and in truth, how are you going to do that? Look, it's such a beautiful thing. Greg, I'm sorry to work you like this. We need to go back to the Moses chart for a minute. You don't mind? You know, once Moses gets up on top of that mountain and he, we were trying, I was trying to get over there into Exodus, the 24th chapter, where they had a vellum or that shape and form on top of that mountain he had hands feet and a body that's the ninth and the tenth verse and then he transformed into that you see an uh, oblong angular thing standing next to this visionary shape and form oh. that's a pattern that was a tabernacle and moses was told to go down into the wilderness and you can see that it's a threefold structure the roof is removed so that you can look in there and he was told to build that tabernacle in the uh, wilderness and so that Yahweh could dwell right among his people. Well, that's a pattern of all. And that is the very thing that is our slide rule that helps us and lights the way for us. That, that is what may be known of Yahweh. It's read it for me again, please. Uh, 19. 
because that which may be known of Yahweh is manifest to in them. Right. Or Yahweh has showed it unto them. Yes, he it, it's put right within you, and he has to show it to you. Mm -hmm. So I become the class who's going to show you. He's your maker. He will make you, he will cause you to understand doctrine. You can that Bible figured out. It's an incredible mystery. He has to reveal it to you or uncover it or show it to you. Take you by the hand like a little child. Show you the way, where to go. Where? What does it mean? See, and we come to him as little children. We're, we're not ashamed. You go to those that know and ask. You need to be taught. Everything you, you know life was taught to you at one time or another. You weren't embarrassed about that. I don't know everything. And Yahweh said that because that which one, you can't know everything about him in this, yet in this physical age. There's more to come. Oh my God, the, 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 it's spectacular. <coughs> the things that are in store for us, for those that believe. And it's not a blind belief. I'm trying to present to you his evidence, his witnesses. Thank you, I see the sign. The things that he, he left for us so that we can know him as he really is and actually exists. Continue to read there. For the invisible things of him from uh -huh. the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that yeah. they are without excuse. Yeah, we are, we are all without excuse, whether we understand it or not. Every knee will bow. Every knee is going to bow or bend. And the fact that he showed a panoramic vision to Moses and also the same vision to John on the Isle of Patmos, right from the very end of his purpose, back to the beginning. Moses seeing it from the beginning to the end. The story doesn't change. It's in constant repetition so that we can catch on to the way that it works. But he showed us and he made it. The invisible things can be understood by the things that are made. And we're made by that tabernacle pattern. It's a three-part, most holy place, holy place, court roundabout, that's three parts. Your body, you got a head, chest, and an abdomen. Your earth, it's a core mantle and a crust. You got land, air, and sea. You eat it, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You eat it every morning, day, and night. You eat it with your utensils, fork, knife, and spoon. You learned it when you went to school. One, two, three, A, B, C, primary colors, blue. I'm going to mess this up. Yellow and uh, was it red? Did I, did I fail my test? <laughs> but there's only three primary colors and it's all everything. Why is it all in threes? Because we have a pattern that we're going by. And if we refer to the pattern and don't deviate from the pattern, we will not be in error we can make mistakes but if we go back to the pattern and be steadfast with that we will not stumble and lose weight and there are much more many wonderful things um that we can talk about including myself this evening but my time has expired and i'm so happy to be here the best day of my life is when I came into a class like this 
and was introduced to the things that you heard me speak about. Because it has the power to change your mind. It has the power to change your nature. And in actuality, all we're trying to do is introduce you to yourself. So please come back and learn all you can while the time is available. Thank you very much for this time and your attention. And I will turn it back over to the moderator. Thank you so much, Dr. Zahar. Our next speaker will be from the Oceanside class, Dr. Bruce Geller. Thank you, Jerry. I want to say good afternoon and evening to everyone. I'm glad to be with you all. I enjoyed the previous speaker and I want to continue on from where Reba left off because there were a lot of important points that I think are quite uh, worthy to reiterate and to go over again. Um, one of the things that, that and you guys hear me okay? Just can I get a confirmation on yes. that? Yes. Yep. Okay. Not okay. clear. I'm hearing a little bit of feedback, but I'll just have to deal with it. And I'm glad you don't have to deal with it. Now, Reba talked about how we have a pattern to go by. And if we follow the pattern, then we'll be okay. But if we deviate from the pattern, that's when we run into all kinds of trouble like making stuff up, like thinking that our own thoughts and our own imaginations take precedent over the truth. And that's where we run into uh, just the beginning of trouble because that is a big mistake and a big error. See, before I came into this class, my testimony is, always has been, that I didn't know a single thing about my creator. You could have asked me what God was like. First of all, you could have asked me what his name was and I didn't even have that straight. What I was taught in the religion that I was raised in, which was Judaism, was that God's name was so holy, so um, they call it ineffable, uh, that you, couldn't even say it. What I was taught was a word that if you weren't raised a Hebrew, you might may, maybe and never have heard the term Adonai. But that is a title just like Lord is. In fact, it means Lord or Lords. That's what I was taught uh, in my upbringing. And uh, the creator never uh, instructed anyone to uh, minimize the importance of his name. As a matter of fact, he gave a commandment about his name that we shouldn't take it in vain. And I had no idea what that meant either. I thought that meant that if you say, God damn, then you're, you know, you're on your way to H-E-double-L hockey sticks, you know. You're in serious trouble if you uh, swear, not realizing that when something is done in vain, it means that it's done for, for nothing. Like if uh, 
my wife cleans the floor and I come in and spill something on it right off the bat that she's done all that work in vain. Well, see, by not by knowing the name, I didn't know it, but by knowing it and not using it, I had no idea that that actually was a form of taking it in vain or bringing it to naught, as it says in the book. Now, if you follow this pattern, you're not going to have a problem. And I was told that, too, and I have been told that all along the way, all along on my journey in this class. I've basically been told that if you follow the dictates of this vision and revelation and you uh, check it out and you use the pattern properly applied, you'll, you'll be okay. You won't deviate from it and get yourself in a world of trouble. Now, I'm hoping that somebody can find me this scripture because it's very relevant right now. Um, it talks about following after um, wives' tales. I'm trying to remember how. We Fables. Have not, yes, that's it, Sharon. If you can find that. It says that we have not followed after cunningly devised fables. In other words, what we're being taught in this class is not a myth. It's not a fable. It's not a man's imagination. Peter. Second Peter 1.16. Thank you very much. If you could, somebody could read that. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our master Yahshua the Messiah, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now that's Paul's testimony, am I right? Is he the one that wrote this, Paul the Apostle? That we have not followed cunningly devised fables? Now we all know what a cunningly devised fable is. It's something that somebody made up that sounds good, that somebody's imagination, and somebody bought it. Somebody told me some real tall stories or fables when I was a kid, and I swallowed it up because I didn't know any better. I didn't know the truth, so I could had nothing to compare it with. Now... I was in a room re, uh, not too long ago, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, when someone walked into our class in Oceanside and tried to tell us that this gospel that we're all uh, learning about in this class never did anything for anyone. That's what they tried to tell us. Now, Prior to me coming into class, I wouldn't have known whether that was right or wrong if I didn't have any knowledge. If I wasn't equipped with something to compare that statement with, I couldn't have uh, warded it off. Just like when somebody told me that Adonai was my maker. Well, I figured if he's got a skull cap on and he's been to Hebrew school or 
been to yeshiva or some university where he learned all of his stuff from, that that was good enough. It wasn't until I came into class and was told that you need to check things out. You need to check out what we say, whether it's right or wrong. Don't just swallow something because somebody said it. Now, what Reba was saying just dovetailed right into what I've been thinking about because the gospel that we're preaching down here is the same gospel that was preached and has been preached since Yahshua the Messiah went through his death, burial, and resurrection. And I want to show you in Romans 1.16 that a, this is not a cunningly devised fable, folks. You said, Reba, your own self, and showed it in the book, how that there was power in the name of Yahshua, that people were healed in the name of Yahshua, and that this gospel has power in it. Power to raise a man's, you said it was a power, a great power that really, you may not have used these words, but it, it, it can take you from a state of death. Actually, you did say this. You take, can take you from a state of carnality or death or ignorance to a state of having your soul being converted unto life and giving you a knowledge and an understanding of your creator and the one that died for your sins. Now read if you would, we just established in the book that those people back there that were martyred for this gospel did not die folks for a cunningly devised fable. They did not put their lives on the line and worship the creator in vain. They did not do that, and neither are we, and we are not following cunningly devised fables. Now, a man's imagination is a cunningly devised fable, and sometimes it's easy to, I'm going to say it like this, it might not come out so good, but here it goes. People fall in love with their own thoughts, with their own imaginations, and they think that it's gospel. What they think is gospel. Now, we are told specifically in the book what the gospel is, and if we deviate from it by coming up with our own imaginations, then we're, we're asking for trouble, big trouble. If you follow what you've been taught, you ask for proof, and you ask Yahshua to help you, you're going to be much better off than trying to follow after some imagination that you and I might have that we think is, is so pretty. I want to show you something that's so pretty, and all it is is my imagination. Well, you have an imagination, too. And I'll tell you, the more we look at our own imaginations, I think you'll find out it ain't as pretty as you might think. Now, read Romans 1 and 16, and you tell me how this, I'll tell you how this ties in with what Paul said in 2 Peter. That was actually, was that Paul or Peter? 
in Second Peter. It's Peter, isn't it? That wrote that. Yep. Okay. Otherwise, it would have said Second Paul, right? Okay. Read Romans. Uh, read Romans one sixteen. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Yahshua, for it is the power of Yahweh unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Folks, I'm going to ask you a question. I told you that someone came into one of our classes in Oceanside and told us that this gospel, which was preached to us first by our founder, and then we have been entrusted with this gospel, that this gospel, let me have, I know you just got Romans 1 and 16, which says that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, but he doesn't exactly tell you what the gospel is. And incidentally, gospel means good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. And Paul first said, I am not ashamed of this good news or the gospel of Yahshua. But it is the, the gospel now, he said, is the power of Yahweh unto someone's salvation. Now, does that sound like a cunningly devised fable to you? If it has the power to raise a man's consciousness from the dead, a cunningly devised fable does not have that power. It cannot do that for you, nor can your imagination do that for you. And I'll ask you this. Did your imagination about God provide any power unto your salvation before you came into this class? If you can answer yes, well, then that blows everything that was just said sky high. But let, we know that we knew nothing and there was no power in it. But this gospel is the power of Yahweh unto salvation. Now let's find out what the gospel is. Read 1 Corinthians 15 and 1, please. 1 Corinthians 15 and 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Now Paul just, excuse me for interrupting. Okay. But Paul said that this gospel that was preached is and he'll tell you what it is but he said that you're standing in this in other words it's something that you're convicted in that you're standing on that means something to you now he hasn't still yet hasn't told you what it is but he's gonna get to it if i let you let him go ahead by which also ye are saved if you keep in memory what i have preached unto you unless you have believed in vain. Now, he said that it, can you read that part about the power again? About the power. Uh, by which also okay. ye are saved. Right, you're saved, I'm sorry. You're saved in the gospel. You're saved in this good news. So it better be something than somebody's cunningly devised fable or someone's imagination. It better be. Read on. Three, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Yahshua died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. 
Now the, script, now, the scriptures that Paul was referring to was what you and I now know as the Old Testament of the Bible. The first five books are the Law of Moses, and the books after that are the Testimony or the Prophets. So the scriptures, according to the scriptures, is how Yahshua died for our sins. In other words, he died according to something that was written in the scriptures about him. That's not a cunningly devised fable, folks. Those scriptures that some people want to throw in the waste paper basket or make light of them or minimize them are Yahweh's revelations to mankind. That's what the scriptures are, folks. And they're Yahshua's witnesses and Yahweh's testimony that he gave of his son. That's what the law and the prophets are. Now, when you don't use those, you're subject to somebody's cunningly devised fable. And you don't want that, do you? That's not what you come down here to hear my imagination, do you? I hope not. We're coming down to this teaching so we can be, be brought into a knowledge and understanding of what was revealed unto our founder, folks. And this is so important. We have a pattern to go by. And it is a one, it, we don't have several patterns to go by. Just like we don't have several messiahs, there's only one. And there's only one way to get to Yahweh, and that's through Yahshua the Messiah. When I say get to Yahweh, to know Yahweh the way he truly is and actually exists, must come about as a result of having Yahshua the Messiah show you the way. Now, he said that he himself was the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's not a whole bunch of ways, and I know that it, it sounds more attractive if you feel like, well, I got a lot of choices here. I could pick, uh, let's see, Buddha, or maybe I could pick Adonai, or I have my choice. No, it isn't like that. And the way that that's witnessed and there's a lot of ways to show it, but in the scriptures, there was something back there known as an ark of salvation, folks. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, and it's a rhetorical question, but how many doors were there in the ark? Was there like a side door, a back door? A, a, you know, there was one way in, folks. There was one way in to this salvation. And that's through Yahshua. And I'm telling you that having an imagination is a dark place to be, folks. It's very dark. And you're subject to error. You were talking about that, Reba, about how we could be not subject to error if we follow the pattern. If we go by the pattern, which is an example, folks, the tabernacle pattern is an example and a shadow 
of heavenly things, which is Yahshua himself. He's the heavenly thing. Now, Romans 1.16 says that the gospel, which Paul told you was the death, the good news is that Yahshua died. He was, normally when you hear somebody, uh, that somebody died, you don't normally look at that as good news, do you? It's usually news that makes you cry because you don't have that person anymore. But see, here's the difference. Yahshua died, but he rose again, folks. In fact, he's the only one that ever did anything like that. That's Yahshua that rose from the dead, folks. And he poured out his spirit into our hearts and our minds so we would not be ignorant of our creator, but we would know him. Um, in Romans 1.16, Paul was very clear about this. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of Yahweh unto salvation. Now, in 2 Peter, where you were reading about cunningly devised fables, he talked about how, can you go back to that, Sharon, again, in 2 Peter, tell me again where you were reading, because... Um. Second Peter 1.16. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about these cunningly devised fables. Because uh, if you don't know anything, you could, you could really, well, let's face it, we didn't know anything. And when you don't know anything, you're subject to, to being deceived, which we all were, by the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, it says in the book that the devil deceiveth the whole world. Well, the reason why we were deceived is we didn't know anything. If we knew something, then the devil wouldn't have had us in the subjection like he did. Right. But when but when you're ignorant, which we all were, and some of us, namely myself, could be sitting in class for years and have been taught the right way and due to uh, a man's imagination could get all tripped up and think that it's really something. When if you stay on the line, stay with the scriptures that are Yahshua's witnesses and are Yahweh's revelations to mankind, if you stick with that, you're not going to go wrong. But if you stick with someone's imagination I'm telling you, you're, uh, I, I'm just telling you from my own experience, you'll get tripped up every time, even if it might sound good. And let's face it, most imaginations sound pretty good. I mean, it's got to look appealing or sound appealing to have the basis to trip us up with. So there's some to it, but it's wrong. And it's not accurate, and it doesn't lead unto salvation. That's the most important thing. But what we're privy to and what's being opened up unto us, what's being unlocked for us is, is a knowledge and an understanding which takes us from death unto life, folks, from ignorance unto a a uh, profound knowledge and understanding. Let me have Isaiah, the 55th chapter, 
because uh, this is an important lesson that we all need to learn. And uh, it's it's a let the wicked forsake his way somewhere down in there like seven. This is good advice for all of us, folks. I think it's 55 and six, let the wicked or nine maybe. Uh, I, Isaiah, 50, fi Isaiah 55 and 6. Seek ye Yahweh. Seek ye yeah, Yahweh. Yeah, that's it. Seek Yahweh. Go ahead. Seek ye Yahweh while he may be found. Call ye mm -hmm. him while he is near. Right. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And Folks, we all, we all have to have come to this point. This is not just somebody else that it's talking about. I mean, we could all look at that and learn something from it. Let the wicked, oh, that wasn't me. No, no. That was uh, Charles Manson. Oh, no, no, no. The wicked was uh, Adolf Hitler. Uh, see, in Yahweh's eyesight, folks, we're all wrong. And we're all wicked. We're all unrighteous. And it talks about how that we need to forsake let the wicked forsake his way, read. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him See? return unto Yahweh. I believe it or not, I will let you finish. It may not be tonight, no, but I will let you finish. You see what a wicked imagination can do, folks? Yahweh is saying you need to forsake that. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. With me, if, if I had read that when I was a kid in synagogue, I wouldn't have understood it anyway, but more than likely I would have thought that pertains to somebody else because I don't have any wicked thoughts. <laughs> Just like none of us had any wicked thoughts, folks, right? And that always pertains to somebody else, but we never lay it on ourselves. Keep on reading. And let him return unto Yahweh, and he will have mm -hmm. mercy upon him, and to our Elohim, for he will abundantly pardon. Folks, we, thought, have, we have been shown uh, an abundance of mercy in, in being in this class. Yahweh has pardoned us, folks, through Yahshua, for all the iniquity that we were doing and we were involved in because we were just flat out wrong folks and we were in darkness that's where we were if we want to be honest because i've heard some people say well i know all that i've known all that stuff that you're teaching down there no you don't no you don't i can't reiterate that any stronger and you've heard it too where people think that we're teaching the same thing they're teaching out in the world, and we're not. And there is a great deal of power in this gospel, folks. It says to everyone that believeth, this is something that Yahshua has got to cause us to believe, because the power is in the believing of it. Not the lip service about it, but the power is in the in the the resurrection in in the spirit. 
And that's where we all want to get to. You were talking, Reba, about worshiping Yahweh in spirit and in truth. Try doing that without the spirit of Yahshua in you. Good luck to you, because you can't. That's why it's so important that Yahshua the Messiah, his spirit be formed in us, folks, because we would have no way of knowing anything about our creator except using our own imagination. And that doesn't get the job done. We're just fooling ourselves. I don't want your imagination, and you most certainly don't want mine. It isn't going to do you any good. Uh -huh. It can't do anything for your inward man, for your insides. And that's what this thing is all about. So let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto Yahweh for he will abundantly pardon us, folks. He's had pity on us. You think, oh, I don't want anybody to feel sorry for me. When you see the state and condition that we were all in before we came into this teaching, you better hope somebody felt sorry for you and me. And Yahweh did pity us, folks. He did feel sorry for us. That's in the book, too. I'll get it for you if you want it. I don't know offhand where it is, but I know it's in there that he had pity for us. He, he realizes what we're going through, folks. He put us in the position that we're in, just like he sent Israel down into Egypt. In fact, he's doing the whole thing himself. But I just got through saying that it's the, uh, this is what Paul said, that this gospel is the power of Yahweh unto salvation to, ev this is important, to everyone that believeth. Now read John 6 and 24. John, John 6 and 24. Mm -hmm. When the people therefore saw that Yahshua was not there, neither his disciples, they also sure. took... Yeah. Sharon, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll help you out with it. It might okay. be 28 where he says, what shall we do that we might work the works of God or Elohim? Isn't that John the 6th chapter? Or am I in the wrong... Uh, John six twenty eight, no, no. Um, well, I'll just tell you that it's in there and and John six twenty eight. Is it John oh. six twenty eight? All okay. right, Sharon, I'll see you after class. <laughs> I can't. So okay, oh, <laughs> so six twenty eight. Uh -huh. Then said they unto him, "What shall we do?" that we might work the works of Elohim. These people asked Joshua a legitimate question. What, are, what can we do to please the, the father talking so much about? What, how can we work the works? What shall we do that we might work the works of Elohim? Read. Joshua answered and said unto them, this is the work of Elohim. Whoops. Are you there? Yep. Hello, I'm out. I'm out of juice. It looks like. Oh, I hear you. 
Okay, hold on, guys. I'm sorry, but uh, for some reason. I can hear you. Can you hear us? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. We're back. I'm very sorry for the glitch. Okay. Sharon, I know you were at John 628. This is very important because this is not something that we can do of our own selves. And I think it's extremely important to get this across. Paul said the gospel had, was the power of Yahweh unto salvation that every to everyone that believeth it, right? We right. just got through reading that. Now read John 6.20. What might we do that we might work the works of, of Elohim? Read, Sharon. 29. And Yahshua answered and said unto them, this is the work of Elohim, that you this believe. Is, this is your work. This is I, I have an assignment for you. No. I want you to go home tonight because I'm going to give you uh, what's called uh, Believing 101. I want you to take this book home. That's not what he said, right? Right. He said, this is the, you, you just got through asking me what I can do to work the works of God or please him or, right? Right. And he said, this is the work of Elohim. This is Yahshua's work, folks. Read, Sharon. This is the work of Elohim that you believe on him who he has sent. That's the work of Elohim, folks. You see why we need Yahshua is the Elohim, folks, of Israel, correct? Mm -hmm. Okay, Dennis, thank you. This is the work of Elohim, that you believe on him whom the Father has sent. So, folks, that should be, that should be of some kind of comfort to us that we can't do this on our own. We're completely at the mercy and dependent on Yahshua to show us the way. That's why we don't have to depend on cunning. We don't depend on a man's imagination. You don't go to me and ask me, well, what do you think about Yahweh doing this or doing that? Well, go to the pattern. That's how you'll learn about it. Go to the scriptures. That's how you'll get an answer to your question. Go to the spirit that's supposed to be in your heart and mind, and he'll answer it for you. He'll give you the answer. See, we're completely dependent on Yahshua, and that's the way that he wants us to be, is dependent on that spirit. Now, uh, Greg, if you could get for me that green chart, I just want to point something out to you. Because all the treasures of heaven and earth, folks, are contained in one place. And that place is in Yahshua the Messiah. That's where the, tre the book says that all the treasures of heaven and earth are locked up in Yahshua the Messiah, folks. That's why it's so important that we get, that we be in him. That's where the treasure is. I mean, if somebody gives you a treasure map and you and you never end up getting to the to the treasure, what good is that? See, our treasure 
is Yahshua the Messiah, what's in Yahshua the Messiah. All the treasures, I should say, of heaven and earth are locked up in him. Now, in order to unlock them, you got to have some keys. That's what I wanted, Greg. Is uh, Actually, it was the Carnal Ordinance chart, I believe. I went to the wrong, had you go to the wrong chart. Uh, but there's two keys on that chart. There they are, right there. And those keys, folks, are the law and the prophets. Mm -hmm. Now, the, Yahshua said, I am the door. Well, you got to get in the door, folks. You can't be outside of the door. You couldn't be outside of... You tell me what was the, the outlook for those that were outside of the door of Noah's Ark. They all <laughs> perished. So they had to be within the door. That's where the treasure is, is within the door. <clears throat> you got to get inside of Yahshua. And you have to have that unlocked for you. And the keys, which are the law and the prophets, have the ability to unlock the door, which is Yahshua, to get in so we, me and you can get in there. And that's our aim, folks, is to have Yahshua the Messiah in us and for our souls to be in him. And that's the reason why this gospel is preached in the first place. This good news is so that we can become recipients of his Holy Spirit and we can stand tall, folks, in this earth plane as kings and priests he said he would make us because of the knowledge and the understanding and being recipients of his spirit not because we wear a collar up uh, you know turned around but because he's made us ministers of this gospel and we're not ashamed of it and we know that this gospel has done a great deal for us and when we hear somebody say that this gospel never did anything for anybody to say that it's a turnoff is putting it mildly but before we had any knowledge we wouldn't have known the difference and we've been blessed in this class to have been given a knowledge and understanding and i am grateful for what yahweh has given me i just ask him to continue to make me aware and conscious of his ever presence in me and I thank you for the opportunity to have something to say. Thank you, Dr. Bruce Keller. Our next speaker will be the Dean of the Oceanside Branch, Dr. Dennis Volpe. I want to say good evening to everyone. Can everybody hear me okay? Yes. yes. Good. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to pick up right where the two speakers had worked into a very important aspect of our teaching that I think is vitally important for all of us to under, appreciate and understand the value of what Dr. Kinley gave us. When he taught us, one of the primary fundamentals of this teaching is that Yahweh provided a pattern, that he provided a way for us to understand the setup and operation down through the law and the prophets of his purpose and plan. 
And I want to talk about that tabernacle tonight because it's something that we oftentimes hear it correlated uh, in many different ways to uh, uh, aspects that are going on over and over again through the Law and the Prophets, like Blood, Water, Spirit, 40, Death, Bureau, Resurrection, correlated to your human body. But I want to talk about really what the tabernacle is ultimately doing for our understanding and why Yahweh gave us that. I want to turn over to Acts, the seventh chapter. And we're going to start reading at verse 44. Acts 44, 7:44. Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness, as he had appointed speaking, as appointed speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion that he had seen. Now listen. Here's Stephen testifying before he was to be put to death by stoning. Okay. And he's speaking to these Jews that are all around him that are licking their chops, I can put it that way, to throw a rock at this guy. And what he's telling them is irrefutable and incontrovertible. You can't argue with it. And he's telling them that our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. Now, back at that time, the Jews didn't have a clue how the tabernacle was witnessing to anything. From their vantage point and their understanding, which was prior to the day of Pentecost, they thought the tabernacle was simply a place where the priest performed a ceremony on the holiest day of the year, which is Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, where he went in and made an atonement for their sins. And as far as their understanding was, that atonement was a matter of killing us a lamb or a goat or whatever and taking the blood from that sacrifice and sprinkling it at the Ark of the Covenant. They had no idea of what that was signifying. Now that tabernacle that was given was a tabernacle of witness. Now, we can and, and, and actually should be witnessing what we understand when we teach, when we give testimony, to how that is directed by the pattern. Now let's not forget this. It was brought out already today that the pattern, which is the archetype, original pattern of the universe, is Elohim, who is that body that we see on top of Mount Sinai there that Moses saw in a vision. Now the tabernacle was a physical structure that was illustrating Yahweh, Elohim, and Yahshua. That's what it was for. Now, when we look at the tabernacle, what we have to understand is primarily we're seeing two things we're taught. There's two things that we can key in on. That is the structure of the, of, of the tabernacle and the second thing is the function. Now the structure represents the structure of the Godhead and the structure of the purpose that Yahweh is setting up in order for you to come to a knowledge of who he is and how he actually exists. 
and the function is the operation within the tabernacle of the priesthood. So the tabernacle shows you how the, how the purpose is structured. Therefore, we go into, let's go to the chart. Uh, we call it the, 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 the elementary chart. And I want to get to that chart and show you up at the top. We've got up in the upper left-hand corner, it says it's the chart on the pattern or plan of salvation. Now, here's one thing that you have to understand. This was the very first chart that was painted. And what Yahweh was illustrating here, what, what Dr. Kinley wanted illustrated, was that there was a pattern of salvation that Yahweh set up right from the beginning. Not 1,500 years before the time the Messiah was born, which is approximately the date of when they built the tabernacle. But there was a pattern from the beginning. And if we look there, the first circle, that is Yahweh now taken on shape and form as Elohim. So henceforth, on the top of the Moses chart, it says Elohim, the archetype pattern of the universe. Now when Yahweh formed Elohim, he was forming a structure and a function that would be carried out to bring his purpose down through ages and dispensations and to bring us to a knowledge and an understanding of him. So the tabernacle, ladies and gentlemen, was witnessing to the entire purpose of Yahweh. Now, anytime we have any kind of idea in our head, and, and Bruce was talking about imaginations. Imaginations, we don't think of ourselves sometimes having imaginations in certain respects. For an example, when we have an opinion, or we have a theory, or a concept, we don't think of that as being an imagination because we think, well, we have deduced this. We've come to this understanding logically and reasonably is the way we look at it. So we don't, any way, shape, or form, categorize our theories, concepts, and opinions as being an imagination. However, anytime you come up with anything about God, and Dr. Kinley said we never had a right thought in our lives. When he had the vision, he recognized that every thought that he ever thought about God, about the Bible, about understanding what it all meant, he was wrong about it. Right. And he made the statement, I never had a right thought in my life, and neither do you. Mm -hmm. Now, what? how did they come up with these things that they teach in religions? They use their concepts or ideas of putting together information about something they had no knowledge of whatsoever. They, they did not know down through, not only down, uh, uh, down through the law and the prophet, they didn't know anything about the Godhead. Christianity, when they got together in 325 AD to structure the belief in Christianity, they had no knowledge of how the Godhead operated. All they knew was that it talks about a father over here, talks about a son over here, and it talks about a Holy Ghost in this spot over here. So they deductively reasoned what they thought God was, what why there was only one God, but three different ent entities, if you will, that they said were all God, and they didn't know how to reconcile it. What they did is they used their imagination of God and what they thought he was. And, of course, they came up with something carnal. 
Now, when Michelangelo painted on the wall, on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, God reaching out to Adam, they had God pictured as a man with a, a gray hair and a beard and all that sort of thing. They knew nothing about spirit and what spirit was, nor did they understand anything about the uh, uh, threefold nature of spirit. Therefore, they had no way to come up with anything that they would set up as a tenant of their doctrine other than by imagining what God was, which became then, in a sense, in reality, they wouldn't admit this, but it was their opinion that there were three separate entities, but only one God. They came up with an opinion. They came up with a uh, uh, what they thought was a plausible explanation, and yet it derived from an imagination. Now, in the wilderness of Sinai, when Yahweh gave the law to Israel, the Ten Commandment law in particular, in the 20th chapter of, uh, of Exodus, he talked about them not building or uh, engraving anything that they imagined that was of, of, of spiritual... Let's read it. Go to Exodus, the 20th chapter. Read the first commandment for me, please. Exodus... Yes, 20. I think it's 1. It might be 1 or 2. Um, uh, 2. I am Yahweh thy Elohim, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Mm -hmm. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, let's, let's just take that point right there. There is no other gods. There is no such thing as a, a Ra or an Isis or a Talmuz or a Baal or any of the gods you read about down through the Bible. They're all imaginations of some carnal mind. Right. They don't exist. Hmm. So here Yahweh knew that the Israelites who he put in captivity for 400 years had been incorporating ideas, concepts, and imaginations of the Egyptians. You don't live amongst people for 400 years and not pick up something about their beliefs and their culture. So they also, you'll find out later on, that the Israelites that came up out of Egypt also worship pagan deities. So Yahweh's going to put a stop to that now. He's got them at the mountain. And, and read that again, Sharon. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Read. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above. Stop. Or that is in the... Stop right there. That's great. I just want to make this point. I want to hone it in. So what mm -hmm. he didn't want them, because all these gods were imaginary... Just like today, we love to go to the movies, and they have the movies about the Greek gods arguing with one another, and they have, the, and they have these movies where they uh, have a god come to earth and all this stuff uh, from an imaginary god system of different cultures that have come down through uh, history. Now here, he's telling them, I don't want any of these gods brought up. In fact, he tells them later, I don't even want to hear their names. He said he was a jealous Elohim. Now, what I want you to know is, 
<laughs> that when he said, making any engraven image of anything that's in heaven. Well, why is that? Because none of these men that came up with these ideas of God that are coming from a carnal imagination ever were in heaven to know what's in heaven. They didn't know what was spiritual. They didn't know what spirit was. So the only thing they could come up with is some physical likeness of something that they then set up as being a god. And you know there were gods that had a fish head. And then there were gods that had like the head of a, a you know, some other kind of beast or whatever. A lion head. They combined things that were in the natural creation and set them up as images where they then bowed down and worshipped these images. For heck, for crying out loud, in the wilderness of Sinai, they built a a cow and bowed right. down before it, the, the golden calf. They bowed down and called the calf a god. Okay. Now, if that's not an imagination, I don't know what it is. Now, what I want you to see is this is the problem. We might not now go down and bow down in front of a golden calf or whatever, but the problem is that we still have the same problem that they had over the last 6,000 years. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, all you've got to work with is an imagination. Mm -hmm. So you come up with what you believe is reasonable doctrine, reasonable so-called spirituality, and it's based on your imagination <clears throat> that you deductively reasoned and used your carnal intellect to derive this stuff. And every one of us walked in the door with that same problem. And Dr. Kinley used to tell us years ago, he used to say, now when you walk in here, what I have to do is, I have to, to de-educate you and then re-educate you. I got to take away first all of the theories, concepts, and opinions, and imaginations that you've walked in the door with. And Doc would get up there and he would just beat on the various doctrines. Now, some, some nights it was Catholic night where he was going after the doctrine of the Catholics. Another night he was going after the Jehovah Witnesses or he was going after uh, uh, you know, some other religion and showing how everything that they think is absolutely diametrically opposed to how Yahweh actually is and truthfully exists and what Yahweh himself said. So, so think it not strange when we talk about the fact that you need divine help to know anything. And you need the Creator to be able to elevate your understanding and intelligence and consciousness to a higher level. So, this tabernacle was a pattern of witness, ladies and gentlemen, because it witnessed to the structure and function of the Godhead and the structure of the purpose itself and how it functions down through seven ages and seven dispensations. You need to understand how to use that pattern. So Dr. Kinley had to get up and not only explain to us how the pattern was threefold and talk to us about the vessels that were in there and what they were used for, what they did, but then he showed us aspects of how the purpose was witnessed by the operation within the tabernacle itself. Now, Go back over to Acts, the 7th chapter again. We, we, we left off at 44, the very first verse, where he said, Our fathers had the tabernacle of witness as appointed to Moses. Now go down to uh, 45. Okay, 
45, which also our fathers that came after brought in with Joshua, or Yahshua, into the possession of the Gentiles, whom Yahweh drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of... Now they brought the tabernacle across the Jordan River. And that tabernacle was brought into the possession of the Gentiles, meaning where the Gentiles lived. And it was set up over there on Mount Zion. You see it painted on your chart. Now let's not forget something, that the tabernacle was only a temporary structure. It was made to be portable, where you could take it apart and then walk and follow the cloud, as you know they had to do in the wilderness for 40 years, and then set it up again. Now nothing about that tabernacle was glorious on the outside. It was ordinary. They had badger skins, which are not what you would call precious furs. It was bars, pillars, and boards. And you didn't see any of the glory that was on the inside of it, which is where the gold was. You only saw the brass on the outside. But the gold that's on the inside represents the interior of the tabernacle, which is the tent. And those structures represent spiritual things, where the outside structure represents natural or carnal things. Now, when they brought it in into the land of Canaan, they only set that tabernacle up once. That was on Mount Zion. Once they set that up, it stayed there till they completed the temple. And that's what uh, uh, um, uh, Stephen is about to talk about. Read 45 again, please. Which also our fathers that came after brought in with Yahshua into their possession of the Gentiles, whom Yahweh drove out before the face of our fathers unto the days of David. Now we're at the point of David, King David. Read. Who found favor before Yahweh and desired to find a tabernacle for... Now Elohim. watch, watch. David, how many years was David from the time of Joshua? Does anybody know? For Joshua? Well, now Joshua came in. You'd have to look at the chronology of when he did that. And then you'd have to look at the chronology of David when he was around over in the book of Samuel or the book of uh, the Kings there. And you'll get an idea that there were centuries that went by before the tabernacle or the temple was constructed. Hmm. That means that tabernacle stood for a long time before the temple was built. It wasn't like they went up there, set up the tabernacle, and then they went, uh, spent 40 whatever years it was, or how many ever years it took, I don't remember what it was right now, to build the temple, and then they just moved the stuff in. It was centuries, because the first one to have an idea on this temple was David. David petitioned Yahweh for him to be able to build a structure that would be glorious, that would be a permanent structure. And, of course, we know that David was not allowed to build that. It was given to Solomon to build it. And so here's Stephen talking about that, and he's talking about that uh, David found favor before Elohim and desired to find a tabernacle for, Elohim, for the Elohim of Jacob. Read. 47. But, Sol but Solomon built him a house. Now Solomon oh, built the house. Right. Now... Here's the reason it says in your, in your scriptures. It says that David was denied building the house because he was a man of war, is what you read. Now the name Solomon, Solomon 
means in Hebrew means peace. So what you got there is you got Yahweh waited till his son came to build the temple. Now here's what I'm trying to get across to you. You've got an example of a father and a son here. The father, David in this case, represents Yahweh himself in, the, in this example. And Solomon was his son. And actually he was his second-born son, by the way. Now, what we've got is we've got the son, not the father building the temple, but the son. Now, why did I say that? Because Yahweh sent Yahshua in, who is his son, his only begotten son. And it was his job to construct the temple. Yahweh pitched the greater or more perfect tabernacle. You'll read that. Which Yahweh pitched and not man. But the temple was to be constructed by the sun. So this shows us that Yahshua, when he comes in, ladies and gentlemen, they had already set, uh, they already had a problem, the Jews, because at the time of Jeremiah, uh, there was a, uh, the, I think it was the Babylonians, I don't remember which culture, came in there and conquered Israel, and Yahweh had Jeremiah take the Ark of the Covenant and bury it in a cave. And it's recorded in the book of Maccabees, which is an apocryphal book. And Dr. Kinley said that that was accurate and true, that that uh, 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 ark is there to this day and man will never find it. Now here's what that left. That left the Israelites for uh, 500 years without any way to make an atonement for sin. Because without the ark, you can't have an atonement. Because the atonement isn't just you walking behind a veil and sprinkling some blood. There has to be the structure of the Ark of the Covenant that the blood is sent forth or, or, or sprinkled towards and then an appearance on a mercy seat of Elohim himself to accept that atonement for their, that atonement to be made. And without an Ark, it can't be accomplished. So that means for 500-some years... There was no atonement for sin made for Israel on the Day of Atonement. Now I'll throw this one at you since i got a couple of minutes. Doc told us that when the, uh, uh, at the resurrection, when the veil was rent in the temple, that what was behind that veil was a rock that they had gone out and picked this rock out because the scripture said there would be a rock in Zion, I think it was, or one of those places that would be uh, rejected of men. So they went out and found a, a big rock that they said, well, nobody's going to want this. And they took and put it in behind the veil. And nobody knew that there was no Ark of the Covenant when they went in to have their holy day there at the time of Yahshua. Nobody knew what was behind that veil because only the high priest could go in there. But Peter, in the fourth chapter of Acts, when he was confronted by the Pharisees and arrested for healing that man, and he said to him, By the name of Yahshua the Messiah was this man made whole, whom you builders have rejected. This is the rock that you builders have rejected. And in other words, I remember reading that for many years and never really understanding uh, the real significance. Doc said well, the reason why Peter said that 
is he was letting them know that Yahshua made them aware that they didn't have the Ark of the Covenant behind her, but they had taken a rock and put it behind that veil. Now, what I want you to know is the true rock, as you know, is not some ugly stone out there laying around in, in Zion or wherever else it was, but the true rock was Yahshua himself. And he was rejected by the builders, meaning that there would be no form nor comeliness about him. When they see him, there would be nothing, and he would be despised and rejected of men. That was the rock right there. But that rock was not just a rejected rock. He was also the Ark of the Covenant himself. Why? Because until they got past the veil, because remember, the Ark was on the other side of the veil. Until you got past that veil. And that veil represents a carnal mind. That wow. carnal mind has to be removed. Now, until that carnal mind is removed, till you can get past mm. that veil of being carnally minded, you cannot see the true ark of Yahweh that is responsible for your atonement for your sin. Or recognize that that's Yahshua himself. Now, what I want you to see is that that uh, uh, temple that was built was to be built after the time that Yahshua went through the death, burial, and resurrection. And the temple that he's building is the temple of his own body. And I'm not talking about, Christianity thinks that's talking about a physical body coming out of the tomb. And Dr. Kinley made us all aware that he didn't raise a physical body, he raised a quickening spirit or a spiritual body. But the ones that he resurrected at the resurrection, painted on the lower right-hand corner of this chart, is that when Yahshua came up, many that slept in the dust of the earth rose on up with him. And Doc said, because he's the head, the body must follow. Now this is still before Pentecost, so what he's demonstrating is that the Messiah will gather all of the elect that have been laying in the grave from Adam on down and bring them into the new covenant and be a member of his body. And then all the souls that would come forth from the day of Pentecost through the foolishness of preaching right up to today are also being grafted into the body of Yahshua because he's constructing the spiritual temple, which is a permanent structure of glory, of beauty and glory so that all members of that body are glorified in Yahshua the Messiah, who is the temple. Now watch. I want to show you one other thing here. Now that, temp that tabernacle, that veil that was there, you couldn't get past that veil by yourself. Now Dr. Kinley made us, you know that years ago when I came into class, we taught that the veil was split down the middle and that the high priest went up through the center of the veil. Because when it's painted on the chart, you kind of think it's like a curtain that's folded back there. But Doc one time just uh, straightened us all out, and this was in the early 70s. He said that that veil was a solid veil. There was no split in the middle. And then, of course, the question arose, well, then how did the priest go up there? And he had to explain to us how he had to go around the veil. He had to go up on the right-hand side and come back down on the, on the uh, opposite side, the left-hand side. Now, here's what I want you to see. You cannot go past that veil. You have no permission. If Nadab and Abihu, before they even worshiped, uh, offered the, the strange incense or fire, 
If they had gone past that veil, they would have been dropped instantaneously. The only one that could go past that veil is the high priest. Now the high priest is a figure of Yahshua himself. Now those stones that are on his breastplate, which have names engraved in it, represent the congregation that would be gathered in him. And on his shoulders, he has two onyx stones with six names of six tribes and six names of the other six tribes. Uh, those are on the two onyx stones to show that he is bearing their uh, souls and iniquities. He's making an atonement for them and that they are within his bosom or in his breast. That's why we call it the breastplate. He must carry them past that, that veil. Now watch. When Yahshua, if we were to look at the tabernacle and say, what in the pattern represents the point of receiving the Holy Spirit? What would be a manifestation in the operation of the tabernacle that would show the Holy Spirit? Flash of the Shekinah. It would be the Day of Atonement, when the flash of the Shekinah occurs. Why is that? Because the priest is standing before the ark, and that ark that has a mercy seat on it, and he has to show that what he's going to do is reveal himself, and it's by mercy, not that you did anything to deserve it. But here's the here's the reality of it. Once he flashes or he appears, all of those stones in the breastplate are representing the souls of those that Yahshua is coming in to save that light or reflection is going to reflect right in those stones and off those stones. At that first appearance is a figure of those stones now being quickened, or that is to say reflecting the Holy Spirit. So the what I'm trying to get across to you is you don't get the Holy Spirit without Yahshua carrying you up and bringing you before the mercy seat. That's how you get the Holy Spirit. And that's what the pattern shows. You don't arbitrarily just go past that veil and walk in there and stand there and wait for the flash of the Shekinah. It's just not going to happen that way. And the pattern doesn't show it that way. This right. is a tabernacle of witness, ladies and gentlemen. And we got the two witnesses right on each side, which are Michael and Gabriel. They're, and, and you read how they were constructed... Their faces weren't looking straight across at each other. They were looking towards the mercy seat. It's right in your Exodus, in your Bible there. It talks about how their, their faces were facing the, the mercy seat. And when Yahshua appeared, they were witnessing to that which was between them. In other words, they were witnessing to the mercy. The mercy of Yahweh. The mercy of Yahweh Elohim in his appearance. Now watch this. What was under the mercy seat? It was the Book of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. Now what I want you to know is, Peter reads over there and states that the things that were written before Pentecost by all of the prophets that they wanted to understand that wasn't given to them at that time to know, it was given for us to know after <coughs> Pentecost, which things it says the angels desired to look into. Now mm -hmm. watch, those angels are looking down at that mercy seat. And what is down underneath it is the hidden manna. There's a pot mm -hmm. of manna that's hidden. You can't lift that, 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 that mercy seat up for you to go in there and grab a, a, a chunk of that manna. 
They're looking at it, and they're looking right at mercy. And it takes Yahshua to reveal what's hidden under that mercy seat to the angels and to mankind. And when you read in Revelations, the fifth chapter, where it says that uh, they were asked, is there anyone worthy to open the book and loose the seal? And they all wept because none were found worthy in the earth or in heaven to do it. But the lion of the tribe of Judah had prevailed because he was sacrificed, because he died for us, that he could open the seven seals, which are the mysteries that have come down through the seven ages and dispensations. The pattern is witnessing to every part of it, ladies and gentlemen. So rather than argue about doctrine, let's go in the tabernacle and see how it's reflected through the purpose and how the tabernacle operated and functioned. Because it's a tabernacle of witness. And what's in there is the entire purpose. Every question you have is reflected and manifested somehow in that tabernacle. If Yahshua is so gracious to open up those manifestations and show you how it answers your questions. That pattern is of absolute utmost significance. Uh, just a couple last things here, real quick, back to our, uh, uh, in 47, uh, oh boy, I'm well, I can't do it, I can't do it here. He talks about how heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. This is back in the seventh chapter of Acts. And hath not my hand made all these things, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do you. This is Stephen telling they're uncircumcised in their heart and in their ears. That's why you can't hear the truth without Yahshua, because he's the one that is going to circumcise your heart. That's Deuteronomy 30 and 6. And in Joshua, the fifth chapter, at the circumcision of Gilgal, Yahweh commanded him to circumcise the second generation. So you can't be, you are you walk in class and you're uncircumcised in your heart and in your ears. Without that circumcision happening, you ain't going nowhere. And I could go into more detail on it, but my time has expired. I hope I didn't confuse anyone. I hope some of this stuff resonated with you. I thank you for listening. I'll hand it back to the moderator. Peace and Yahshua to all the brethren. Thank you, Dr. Volpe. I'd like to thank everyone who participated in our Zoom class and those who viewed us on YouTube. We hold our Zoom class here every Saturday from four to six Pacific time. Zoom participants, please stay muted until the live stream ends. We will now close with a doxology taken from the last two verses of Jude. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise Elohim, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Let us all say hallelujah. Hallelujah.